This Sunday especially is a particular day of importance to me. The first Sunday after Easter was the very first Sunday I began attending the community that I'm involved with, the Metropolitan Community Church. And I particularly chose uh, that Sunday on purpose because traditionally the first Sunday after Easter in most churches that is the date of lowest attendance. And uh, I chose that day and that time because uh, I was unfamiliar with what the MCC was. I didn't know what they believed. I was unfamiliar with them as a church. Um, so I was very cautious about attending. And uh, I, when I visited that very first Sunday, I chose to sit in the spot furthest in the back, closer to the door, because I thought if I need to make it out that door, I am out of this place. Um, I also didn't know at the time that uh, they were a unique community uh, in that they did not have a pastoral presence. There was no clergy in the church at that time. I was unaware because the board members would take turns uh, facilitating the service and delivering a message. And uh, I just assumed because the messages were so good as each Sunday I came back afterwards they invested so much time into them and study and preparation. I thought, well, I guess they just have a team of ministers here. I had no idea. It wasn't until later that I found out that they did not have a clergy presence. There was no minister, no pastor. And for two years they functioned that way without any, any ministry or clergy presence of any kind. And I didn't realize at the time the significance of that because it was during that two-year period they were without a clergy person that I made the choice to join that church. Uh, it would come back later in a, in a unique way that I'll share with you later as I speak. Uh, I do, though, share as, a, as an aside, and there's no extra charge for this. I'm throwing this part in for free. Um, I found the MCC through a, a web search. And I always mention that specifically because um, in every community, or most every community, there always seems to be one individual, bless them, <laughs> who sometimes doesn't like the cost of maintaining a church website. And they will tell us, well, look, at you've only got these few hits, and, and there's only been so many people who's looked at it. And maybe we ought not maintain one. Maybe the Facebook page is free and it's good enough. But sometimes, as a community of spirituality and a community of faith, sometimes some of the things we do aren't necessarily economically friendly. And sometimes when people get the very first impression of a community, before they enter the door, they get it through your web page. Is that web page welcoming? Is it easy to navigate? And what does it tell people about this church? Is it up to date? I've been to web pages for churches, and the last time they were updated was several years ago. <laughs> and I think, okay, why is no one updating this? Why are they even still functioning if the last update was two years ago? So that's why I said I always encourage a church, if at all possible, um, maintain your website because you never know who might visit just because of it. After I left that community in Norfolk that I'm still a part of now, I went on to Divinity School. I went on to pastor the MCC of Boston. I was there for seven years. And then circumstances presented themselves that necessitated my coming back to Virginia. And uh, I had every intention of reconnecting with the same community in Norfolk. 
Uh, the only difference was during my time away, something happened because they did have a pastoral presence come, a clergy person come to the church. And to this day, I still do not know what happened. And I don't know, and I really don't want to know. <laughs> um, it did not turn out a good experience either for the community or for the clergy person. And there was a parting of the ways. And the reason I don't know is, uh, and haven't asked, it's the same reason when I worked in Massachusetts, uh, on and off in prison ministry, I never asked any of the people in prison, why are you here? Because I was not there as an official. I was not there to judge them, to be their jury. I was there as a clergy person to minister to them in the circumstances they were in. And I did not want anything they shared with me to color my ability to do that to its utmost. And in the same way, I have not, in the time that I have been back in Virginia, uh, asked anyone, what happened what, while I was in Boston? What happened to change this, this community? The first thing that surprised me was um, individuals who I had considered friends um, told me in no uncertain terms, if you go back to that church, I will no longer be friends with you. And I thought, you, you've got to be kidding me. Why, why would you even say something like that? You don't know what it was like here with your regard. No, I don't. I don't know. and don't want to know. I, I, really, I really don't want to know. What I tried to explain to them, as I mentioned just a few moments ago, when I joined that community, I joined a community. I didn't join a pastor. So regardless of who the clergy person was there, if I knew them, if they were great, if they were mediocre, made no difference because I made a commitment to be part of a community, not a pastor. And sometimes in a lot of communities, that, that's kind of difficult for people to understand because we want the presence in our pulpit to draw people in, but there's a fine line between joining a clergy person who might be a good speaker and being part of an ongoing community. It's one universal truth that I have discovered, and I know that sounds very uh, a bold statement, a universal truth, but it's pretty universal among every religious that you can define across the board. Christian, Jewish, temple, mosque, every church wants the same thing when they're without a minister, without a rabbi, without a priest. When they're looking for a new one, they all want the exact same thing. We want the new one to be everything the last one wasn't. Cross the board. <laughs> if our priest, our rabbi, our minister was young, we want someone more mature who can understand the seniors in our congregation. If the clergy person were mature, we have got to have somebody younger in here who will bring in young people. We've got to have more young people. If the rabbi... Iman is someone who was very studious, delivered very educated, very thoughtful, well-planned messages. We need someone who isn't spending all their time in the clouds. We need someone who will get down in the trenches with us and get their hands dirty. If the clergy person is someone who does that, we've got to have someone who just delivers a better message from the pulpit because people don't want to come and hear what is just a mediocre message. Just, so no matter what the pastor, the minister, the priest is, we want our new one to be everything the last one wasn't. So we have to ask ourselves in our community, what exactly defines us? 
and what will draw people to us as a community and not just who our minister is, who our pastor is. And there are three points I do want to share, and I don't offer these points as saying, well, these are the answers. They're just points that in my time I have experienced and I share with you, and I hope perhaps they will spark something within you, some sort of idea or something that might encourage you in your community building process. And the three things are in no particular order. The first one being is authenticity. Authenticity in yourself and authenticity as a community. Authenticity with each other. And that may seem pretty obvious, but sometimes it's hard to do because even, no matter how welcoming the community, to have the gift to truly be who we are is a gift indeed. Because nearly every place of worship, regardless of how, what they represent, will have a sign out front that says, all are welcome here. But unfortunately, that's not the case. <laughs> I know that from my own life, growing up in a very oppressive tradition that had sign out front, end your search for friends here. Unless you came to the doors and, okay, here's a list of do's and don'ts. And if you do any of these things, then we don't want you as a friend and we want you to go. So it, it, it's difficult to be authentic because you want to be accepted as part of a community. And if we're a community to be authentic, it's a problematic thing because we say that we are here for everyone, but is that what we can do? Can we really truly be here for every single human being? Or is it more authentic to say we're doing our best? You're welcome here, and we've got faults, and we've got blemishes, and we're working on them. We're not perfect, but we, this is who our authentic self is. Which is the better? Which in our limited resources is better to work on the things we recognize and prioritize and we'll try to work on and say, in addition to that, here's the things we do real good as a community. It might not be perfect, and it might not meet the needs of everybody, but these things we're really good at. So maybe some of these things might, you might like. I shared with my host last night, uh, I surprised people when I was pastoring the church in Boston, and I don't offer this as something to embrace. I just offer it as my experience. People would come and visit for a few Sundays, and then they would inevitably either not come back or they would call and make an appointment to speak with me. And one of two things would always happen. Number one, they would say how much they liked the church and they wanted to come back. Or number two, they would have a list of things they didn't like, and they would stay if we were willing to change all the things they didn't like. Well, if I did that for every single person who I spoke with in seven years, then I don't know who we are as a community. Because if I had to change who we were as a community for every person I met with in the office who had a list of things they didn't like, I don't know who we would be we would have lost our identity and what we stood for in accommodating all these things. You try to listen to their concerns, listen to what they're looking for, and sometimes it really is okay to say, you know, maybe we're just not the right fit for you. Maybe we're just not. You're welcome here, and we're not asking you to leave, but some of these things given our size, our finances, our circumstances, maybe we're just not the place who can meet those needs for you. And I developed a list of other churches in the Boston area I would refer people to. 
which totally shocked him. But I never considered myself to be in competition with another church, another place of worship. And I would recommend other denominations. I would recommend non-Christian denominations. I would say, here are a list of places, and here's the name of the clergy person there who you might want to talk to. Because most of the people in my congregation at that time were me, middle-aged people without children. And people would come and say, well, what children's programs do you have? Well, we don't have any. No one here has children. Sorry. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I don't know what to do for you. I can't start a program when no one in my congregation has children of their own. Well, I can't come here if you don't have children's programs. Well, two doors down, there is a great church that has an enormous children's program. They've won awards for it. And I think that maybe you should go visit there. I think you might really like it completely shocked people. They weren't sure how to respond. They would just sit there in silence and say, but, but I'm going to leave if you don't get a children's program. Then I'm, I'm sorry, you're welcome back anytime you like. You're welcome to bring your children with you. But we, we, until something happens to change the makeup of our community, we can't suddenly wave a magic wand and invent a children's program where one doesn't exist. The second thing that I point out is not necessarily an easy thing to do for ourselves or in community, and that's forgiveness. Forgiveness is a hard one. And as I mentioned, I don't mention these points because I think this is, you, you've got to do it, because these are things I struggle with. These are things I struggle with with other colleagues, other clergy, because sometimes, I know this will surprise you, but clergy are human beings. <laughs> And I have other clergy who say things to me, and I go, wow, I can't believe you just said that. And for me to forgive them, it's like, wow, okay, i got to step back for a minute. This is not easy to take in. But at the same time, hopefully, I have learned enough of a lesson in the art of forgiveness that I can eventually work through it and evaluate all the points surrounding it and why I feel the way I do about how I react to what they have said to me and, and, and examine it. And the biggest thing that I found, and it sounds like something you hear on Oprah Winfrey, no offense to Oprah Winfrey, but you never forgive someone for them. You forgive someone for you. That's the, that's the only way it works. Because when you carry around unforgiveness for anyone for any reason, it eats up a lot of your energy. It's just draining. I can't get through a day when I'm trying to dwell on why I hate someone. Just, I, can't remember what I, I can't remember what I'm supposed to buy at the grocery store. I can't remember if I fed my cat. And she really gets upset when I don't get her meals on time. And she, there are times she's, she's more demanding of me than congregants are. Um, but it, it really drains me trying to maintain. Well, wait, I'm supposed to be angry about it. What was I angry And maybe I'm just, it comes with age that I've just got to the point with the amount of time I have left carrying around a grudge. It just isn't worth it. It just isn't. And I, I will forgive you because I need to let it go. I need to get rid of it. I need to get this toxic material out of me. And there are times that I have thought to myself, I need to forgive someone who doesn't even know that I was upset with them. They aren't even aware that they hurt my feelings and I'm angry. And I'm not, but I'm not going to run to you and demand. 
I want to sit, you to sit down and I want to explain to you why I'm angry with you. And now I've forgiven you. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay. Well, you have a good day too then. <laughs> it's harder to do in community because we spend so much time with one another. But community is very much like family. And in the analogy I'm using with gardening, it's very similar. It takes time. It takes patience. It takes a lot of hard work. And especially when you use community as an analogy with gardening, sometimes building community, is, it gets dirty. It gets as dirty as gardening does. When, when you're spreading special ingredients in your garden, it doesn't smell good. Your neighbors don't like the way it smells. But the end result of all of that time and patience and hard work causes people to put a sign in your yard that says, Garden of the Week. And sometimes it takes years to build that garden. Sometimes, some, some things don't grow overnight. Some things take cultivating and pruning and cutting back and trimming off limbs. And that goes along with my final point of what I want to mention in, a lo in conjunction with forgiveness is reconciliation. Now this is the hardest one for me because I still haven't got this one down. And I guess that's the lesson the universe is trying to teach me, because I still haven't got it. Because <laughs> even after I've been authentic, and I've worked with churches in developing their own authenticity, and after I've forgiven people, you know, I don't want to sit with you. <laughs> I, I'm not angry with you anymore, but there's just, you know... You're just not the person that I look for when I come through the door. You're not the person that I race to sit with. How, how do I do this? How on earth do I do this? And unfortunately in life, a hard lesson to learn is we're not going to be best friends with every other human being. We can be polite and we can be cordial and we can be friendly, but are they going to be our best friends in the world? Maybe so, maybe not. Maybe not. And sometimes we need to acknowledge that. Sometimes we need to embrace one of the aspects that Thich Nhat Hanh mentions. Using only words that contribute to harmony. And sometimes that's a difficult thing for us to do because we become very... I have something that I am concerned about and I want to be heard... And I so want to be heard, I'm going to use language that might be abrasive. Maybe sometimes that's not the best thing to do. Maybe there are times it's called for. But maybe we want to consider, before I speak, let me just think about how I want to phrase it. That's one of the great things that has happened to me in the two years I've been back in Virginia, I had developed a great relationship with UU clergy in Boston because it's the center of UUA-ism in the United States. And uh, there were so many clergy that I have close friends with. And when I came back to Virginia and was looking for a way to express my ministry given my circumstances, well, this minister at this church in Virginia. We went to school together. We were friends with. Let them know you're available. 
And I have been so fortunate that so many UU congregations in Virginia have embraced me as a non-UU minister and said, would you come speak at our congregation? And then when I get other invitations back, to me, that's just praise. You like me. You really like me. You, you want me to come back. Thank you. And there are, there are some uh, places that I've been to that have told me, we would like to have you back, but we just don't have it in our budget. And if I'm able to, I will, I will somehow do it for free if it's in my ability to do so, because it's more important for me to share than it is to be reimbursed for my time. And at, but at the same time, as I mentioned, I have had clergy who are more Christian-centric than are most UU clergy, how do you as a clergy, how do you be true to yourself and your beliefs and deliver a message in a UU church? How can you not get up there and just tell them about Jesus? Well, my response to them is the same as response I gave to you. I am a guest here, and it's not so important as what I say, but how I say it. Because I want to honor your tradition, not mine. I want to encourage you in your path and your journey as a UU group. I'm not here to try to proselytize you or to convert you to my faith. I'm here to encourage you in your path, in your journey, in your community building. And hopefully, maybe, perhaps, something I've mentioned today might do that. At least I hope so. So once again, I thank you for your time. I thank you for having me back. I thank you for hearing what I have to say. And I hope that in some small way it's been beneficial to you. Thank you.